Good day, listeners. I say good day, or I should have said top of the day, because uh, after this podcast, I am going to go play a virtual version of St. Andrews on my <laughs> MetaQuest 3. Get out for a round on St. Andrews. So that was the top of the morning <laughs> view. I'm Ben Beharin. Salutations. I'm Jay Goldberg. Okay, so this week, fun stuff happened. We followers, long-term followers of our podcast would know this run-up to ARMS IPO was a pretty regular conversation. Um, We're actually, as everyone knows, big fans of ARM and everything they're doing, but I think we were super curious to see how the market would react to obviously not just the IPO, which we talked about, but now uh, their most recent quarterly earnings. Um, But I want to start with a broader question because I feel like those who aren't in the financial community uh, often interpret or poorly or uh, sometimes misinterpret what goes on in after hours trading when a company maybe doesn't meet expectations. So obviously one of the big uh, points after uh, arms earnings was, oh, hey, the stock's off at 1.8%, which again, in the grand scheme of their dollar amount was only a couple of dollars. But I want you, Jay, to just sort of articulate, you know, when we see something like that, like what, what, what's going on in the background? How is that, how is that supposed to be or better interpreted in kind of what the stock moves after an earnings environment? Right. So normally when a stock is trading during the day, stock is trading, it's hard to pin down why it's moving in a particular direction because it's the market expressing its views and it could be a million different things. Somebody just might have to sell a stock because they have some reason that has nothing to do with the company itself. They just need to sell that stock. Lots of signals during the day. However, when once the market closes, there tends to be no trading in the stock. It's very quiet, except when companies report earnings or there's other significant events. And that when the stock moves based on after hours events, that's as pure an indication of what exactly is moving the stock. There's nothing else going to be moving the stock after hours except for that news item, which in this case was their earnings report. And so the stock being down four and a half, five percent immediately after the earnings came out is a pretty clear signal that the market did not like the earnings. Now, I have to insert a caveat. After hours trading is not a perfect signal. It is. There's a lot of noise in there. It's very illiquid. It could just be a few people moving it around. But Generally speaking, it's a good indication of the market's view of the stock and where the stock will open the next day. Another thing that was interesting here was people read the press release, sold the stock, stock is down 5%, and then the earnings call started and the stock went down further. It got to as bad as 8.5% at one point, which is, again, not a perfect signal, but somewhat of an indication that the street wasn't liking what they were hearing on the call. So overall, it's a it's a pretty clear vote, and we saw that you know when trading opened the next day, the stock was down. It's down what five percent on the week, four percent on the week. Mm-hmm. Market didn't like the the numbers. So even also, if we just look one at- one more thing that was yeah. kind of critical in Arm's case was when it was down eight percent, it was below its IPO price. It, IPO price was fifty one dollars, and so that's an important psychological signal at least that like something is out of whack. Right. So, so do you, so how do you, I know it's below uh, pre earnings, but it's recovered some today. Does that signal anything in the grand scheme of they've digested it? Notes have come out now from 
their institutional investors who uh, who are writing notes. Anything to it's it's up slightly today, one um, percent today. No, I mean I, I now now we're into normal trading, and so it, it's reflecting the myriad of people's motivations for buying stocks. Uh, somebody initiated coverage overnight. The market Morgan itself Stanley is generally did. up. Yeah. So we're we're back into pure market signal now. It's yeah. You know. Okay. Uh, and I also I saw this come up. I think yesterday that Intel initiated, they've got 1.2 million shares. Yeah, we we uh, knew they were. They had, they had said prior to the IPO that they would participate in the IPO, they and they right. they published their their actual holdings in one of their filings. Right. So that came right. Out. Right. All right. So let's jump into the earnings itself. Um, there was a lot packed into this. Arm has obviously been fiercely. Uh, fighting the narrative that they're not a growth company. Um, I think a lot of the commentary leading up to this, obviously via Roadshow and then many of the questions on the call, but obviously they had a growth quarter. Um, they guided up for the year of revenue, roughly between three, 2 and 4%, um, but didn't necessarily guide the way I think the market wanted it to guide, but I'll let you, you wrote a, a good piece, which we'll link to on kind of what we learned, but maybe just start with unpacking the, the quarterly numbers themselves. So one of the weird mechanics of a company going public is uh, there's no consensus data on what the street expects from their results yeah. because consensus pulls like Thompson first call pulls all the analysts estimates and breaks out like this is what a consensus of sell side analysts expect the stock to do revenue and eps if you if you look that up prior to arms call it was all blank because just the company is so new not everyone had initiated report coverage uh, a lot of uh, the data hadn't been parsed out by the data providers and that meant it was unclear to a lot of people what what the street was actually expecting earnings are very much an, uh, an exercise in people looking at the reported numbers and comparing that to expectations. And that's like mm. 90% of decision-making done on earnings is just, just that comparison. Never mind intricacies of the of what they report and digging into it and management commentary. It's just like, that's 90% of the decision-making that the buy side is going to do right after earnings is, did they meet expectations or not? And we, we can debate the practicality of that, but that's just the reality of it. And in this case, there seems to have been a disconnect between what this company thought expectations were and what the street thought expectations were. In a quarter, we won't have this problem because everything would be published and we'll all have the same numbers to compare. Right. But right now, right. just the mechanics of the IPO means that nobody was, it was there was a disconnect with possible. And on the call, it was they made a couple of comments. It was clear, like they, they thought that they had guided well, that they'd beat expectations. Um, and I, the street didn't see it that way. So, I, I, you know, and unfortunately, that's one of these artificial things that just the way the stock market works uh, is we had this disconnect. I think if you actually dig into the numbers, the numbers were pretty good. Um, so if you set aside that sort of weird psychological expectations element of it, and you just look at the fundamentals, I think it was a good case. It was a good, it was a good quarter. Right. And do, what... 
so they 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 had said that you know one of the reasons why the guide was was what it was um this is public but they're waiting for a a customer to come in they don't know when that's going to hit could be this quarter it could be next quarter they were they used that clarification um but in terms of just I know you did. We both listened to the call and sort of what you wrote was, "What do we learn about investors?" I mean, most of the calls, the questions I sort of run into was like, felt very help help us understand the growth with shift to ARM v nine, or help us understand the growth in adjacency categories, which I think everybody is looking for, right? The momentum that ARM goes big in high margin environments, not just smartphone. That's why server and PCs were brought up. IoT and automotive, we, we model it as it is. Um, but it, it, you know, a growth over over up to the next year sounded like an overall positive, right? They guided up the year. And I, I think we all assumed maybe that would have been digested better, but perhaps it wasn't. So on that specific point, I think that's that's critical, is they they issued their guidance and for the for the next quarter, but they also raised their guidance for the year. And if you add all that up, it's like they're now expecting more more business, better business than they were three months ago or time of the IPO. So that's a right. that's a positive signal, right? Because a lot of times you'll see companies if they like they beat on the quarter, which Arm did, and then they leave guidance unchanged for the year. That means there's a something has to shrink in the later quarters. That didn't happen here. They raised guidance for the, they, they beat for the quarter. They put out a decent guide and then they raised the full year guidance, which means there's more good stuff coming. But that got all, that all got drowned out by the, the quarterly guide. Like it was, right. and I, I think we, we, we should talk about this later is arms, arms numbers are very complex. The arms business is very complex. And all those questions about where is this growth coming from? It, it was what we really saw during the earnings call was all the all the sell side analysts trying to figure out what was going on, and in particular, right. I think what's happening is here. There's really two types of revenue that Arm has. There, there's more, but the two main types are are licensing revenue and royalty revenue. License is you pay X dollars upfront, or or usually you pay it. You know, you agree to pay ten million dollars over the life of the contract, and it's they can book that every quarter. That's fantastic. That's highly predictable, right? Because they probably take the cash now and then just book it into their numbers the same amount every quarter, which means it's very right. predictable, which everybody loves. Then there's the royalty side of it, which is paid based on, you know, X percent of, uh, based on the number of units that are shipped of that particular chip that's licensed. That varies a lot based on end demand. ARM is big enough that, you, you kind of have a sense of where that's headed because of other market trends. But what was alarming to people on this call, what confused people on this call was the, it looked like the licensing piece wasn't as predictable as we all thought it was. And I think it, in, in what arms, what arms management was saying was it, yes, it's underlying it's predictable, but we have some big contracts coming on stream and that that's a, a big enough amount to move quarterly numbers once it starts flowing into into the system it it's going to get signed right it's not like somebody's going to it's not like a competitive bidding situation it's going to get signed but when they can actually start including that in revenues is hard to predict the life of once it's once it's signed it's very predictable but when it starts is not predictable 
And so what they what they what I think tripped them up in their guidance was they they assumed they took the conservative assumption that they wouldn't sign it before the end of the year, which from a business perspective is the right thing to do because you don't want your customer to know you have to book it by the end of December because that gives them a lot of right. leverage. Arm right. is saying, well, we'll probably we'll book it by Q1. Right. But or you know, but right. So so it's coming sooner or later. It, it, my guess is they'll sign it this quarter and it'll be upside to to the quarter. But again, it was like a lot of moving parts. People it sort of threw people for a loop. Right. I, I think that the difference too, which I think I'm, is really interesting to watch, I'm guessing it's going to take at least a year. Maybe you could say it, it'll take longer. Um, but the, the, the transition f- within their customer base from new arm IP so, for example, right, going from V8 to V9, and then also adding new parts of the RMIP stack to their portfolio as a part of their license. Because, you know, one, one of the things that Arms is very clear about is, you know, we have this, this new kind of fresh, different business model than we had last time. Because, you know, last time's business model was basically get a license, get all the IP, all of that's just relatively set with a fixed number. Now there's so many slices of Arms IP that can come into both the license and the royalty rate, but we have no idea what that looks like on a cadence by some of their larger customers who, you know, we know who those are. That, that I think will be really interesting to see over the next year within the broader point, you know, that you mentioned that I think is, is apt is it's also really hard to analyze this business quarterly, quarter by quarter, looking at it year by year and looking at those swings is, is probably a better way, but that's not, that's not how most people like to think about their businesses, but it's, it is a better way to look at a licensing business. So, so I think arms numbers are deceptively simple. People look at them and they say, Oh, I can figure this out. Right. Because if I'm a, if I'm on the sell side or buy side, if I'm an investment analyst, I can look at, they give so much information. And I look at that and I say, Oh, you know what? I, I'm going to model this out. And generally speaking, the more detail you can build into the revenue model, the better your model is. And so people are sort of there's incentivized to build as complex a model as you can, right? Because that makes it easier to track. You can say, oh, we're going to model it out by, by product line or by revenue type. And that is going to give me good, better predictability than if I just say revenue is going to grow X percent a quarter, right? Yep. I, as, a, as a model builder, I want to have that extra level of detail in there. The problem with ARM is they give out a lot of information, but not quite enough that you can actually track all those things on a reliable basis. And I think it's going to take the street a few quarters to sort of dial in what the right level of detail is for these models. Because I, th- I think people are, are making their models a little bit too complex. I would yeah. want to do that too, but nobody has the tools yet to really maintain that. And, and that's partly the street's motivation, but it's also arm itself is complex. Like, like I, 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 to this day, I mean, I've been, talk to this company. I've been following this company for what, close to 20 years now. And, and to this day, I still can't get their product lines straight in my head. Like yeah. it just, you know, right. And, and they've explained it to me many times. I'm not convinced all arm employees totally understand it. It's just, it's like confusing. And that's just kind of the nature of the business, but like, so that's one, one problem. What's, you know, version eight versus version nine. And uh, you know, it's, it's confusing. And then trying to tie that to actual customers is, is, is impossible. People are going to try it though. It's impossible. On top of that, 
Arm has this whole has new business models coming online now. This subscription model, yep, which I think adds to the confusion because people say, "Oh, subscription model is software as a service, and let's figure out lifetime value and customer acquisition cost, and like let's just treat this like a software." That's not what's going on here, right? This, right? Because Arm's Arm has effectively zero churn. Like no SaaS business in the world has zero percent churn. Arm effectively has right. zero churn. Right. The the subscription model is important for other reasons that really the street doesn't care about. It just it makes it much easier for Arm to work with its customers. Right? The customer doesn't have to pay to start planning a new product. They can experiment and play around before they actually define the product. And so if they have to switch, it's 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 much easier to do. That allows Arm to get involved more early, much more early in the in the planning cycle, which again helps build the customer relationship. You know, this this is intricate, complex stuff that I think for the most part, the street really doesn't have to care about, but it, it, the information is there. It just is a little confusing. And, and, you know, to arm's credit, like it's commendable that they are giving out this much information. Like I really, I, I really appreciate it. I, I pointed out in my note that like, usually a company does earnings. They put out a three page press release with some financial tables. Arm prepared a 25 page report complete with the prepared remarks from management and like all kinds of information. That's going to be really useful long term. The problem is nobody has seen a lot of those numbers beforehand. There's a lot of information to you know to digest in a short amount of time, and and you know there's all these new metrics. They have this this backlog metric called RPO, which is actually really really good number, but it wasn't obvious what it was until they explained it on the call. So there's a there's a lot going on there that is is it's good that it's there. It will be helpful to us long term. It's just causing a little bit of confusion right now. Yeah. I, I think as these sort of call it business model adaptations take place, it, it'll be really interesting to see what that gets interpreted as. Because you're exactly right in terms of they have extremely little customers, right? There's nobody not re-upping their their licenses. They've got more people coming to this subscription model. And, you know, and I recall a big kind of push or theme up to um, you know, Roadshow and the IPO was this idea of, you know, compute computing IP as a service. And as they move to these subscription kind of models, I, I, th- there's this underlying structure that I think is interesting around AI, because everybody who sort of mentioned this and as, as Arm has said, say like, we're going to be a big enabler of AI, not just in the data center, but at the edge. And, and there's unique elements of Arm IP that does that. But what's interesting is, and I've been talking to a bunch of of uh, big, you know, company semiconductor designers lately. There's sort of this view that even this generative AI moment, or this this kind of now that we're settled into a little bit more predictable future around AI, is going to uh, necessitate some level of a rethink of architecture design. And I think that was interesting because, you know, now that we're thinking about, you know, it's not just the CPU, it's not just the GPU, it's it's also the NPU for inference models. There's now different forms of custom ASICs that are thinking about accelerating these, these large language models. There is, I think, this interesting opportunity for ARM to say, now we have more of this new IP around AI cores and AI architectures to license which fits into this opportunity of, again, engaging those, those uh, subscription customers, new customers, and or 
getting more value from that IP because it's really not the IP of two years ago or a year ago, if you see what I'm saying, right? There's new fundamental blocks of technology. And, I, and I'm just intrigued with that kind of as this opportunity upside where where they can actually monetize that in new ways uh, within their, their licensing model as this demand for perhaps a rethink of how we design chips as a whole starts to take place more in the marketplace. So I'm, I'm going to push back a little. I don't, I don't totally, I don't, I don't see it quite the same way. I, what I would say is the rise of AI workloads and the move to heterogeneous compute and all that entails, all these different kinds of chips, all this AI stuff is a big opportunity for ARM, but it's not yet clear that they are able to capture it. Hmm. Right. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think anybody, it's clear to anybody exactly who's going to win or what's going to win here. Um, I 100% agree that AI is not going to be run entirely on GPU. There's going to be all kinds of other stuff in there. Uh, some of that will run ARM, maybe a lot of it. And if it's a lot of it, that's really good for ARM. It's a possibility. Yep. I just don't think yep. anything is certain yet. Uh, and so I think AI in general is good for ARM. It could be really good for ARM, but... Right but I'm not ready to say that it is definitively. So on, on that then, what, what do you think would be, would be needed? They, they already push, you know, Neoverse, Neoverse cores or Neoverse architecture that's, that's got a flavor of this. Like, I, I, want, I wonder if what I'm sort of saying is, is there a new technology category or block of IP that's not monetized yet, meaning no one has it, that they could release and then people say, yeah, I'll pay you for that, right? I guess that's kind of the, what's the signpost? that would say, we believe that's a financial opportunity. So I, I mean, for starters, I, I've heard mixed things about Neoverse and AI and what are, how ARM's IP for AI really stacks up. Um, one of the things about AI is that we're seeing a lot of experimentation, lots of, I mean, GPUs are largely using their own ISA. Lots right. of people are trying custom things. I was at the RISC-V summit today, you know, this week, and I mean, half the half the vendors in the ex ex exhibition floor were selling IP, right? For AI and and like, like I'm not saying Risk Five is going to take over AI inference, uh, but there's a lot of like custom. There are a lot of companies out there who will design custom AI cores uh, that you can use instead of ARM. And I. I there's too many of those companies that's, that's going to consolidate that has to get fixed, but there's, there's a lot of experimentation, and a lot of competition right now. And so what I would want to see is more companies. I, I, I mean, the, the ultimate question is what is AI edge inference going to look like? And I don't think we know, right? I think cameras are going to be done on risk five. I think PCs are going to be done on arm, maybe X86, but a lot of arm. Where's the rest of it going to mobile phones are going to be on arm. So it, it sort of shapes up like the rest of their business where they're strong and where they're not as strong. And I think arm is obviously in great position in mobile. We had a whole episode last time talking about PC. That's very much up for debate. Um, that's going to be mixed. I think is what it's going to come down to. There's going to be some X86 and some arm Apple. Uh, and then like, that's and then and then there's the, the whole IoT and automotive. I think we, we just don't know. We don't know where all that kind of inference is going to get done yet. What I think matters most here is going to be um, automotive. There's going to be a lot of 
inference done in the car for ADAS and then autonomy, that's probably going to be on ARM, but we don't know yet. I don't think that's that's clear yet. Yeah. I think your Neoverse point is apt because the implementations that we see are good, but don't appear to be thoroughly blow the doors off competitive. But I, I think that's what sort of leads me to say, you know, a lot of those technologies were baked into ARM IP pre this chat GPT moment for whatever that means, right? That was prior. Now, post chat GPT, I'm just wondering, like, like, is there a way that they create new, I mean, again, ARM, Neoverse, whatever, or something new, right? It's a different thing that says, this is the now modern architecture for the new world of AI, knowing that post chat GPT, you need to start thinking about how you, you, you architect these things differently going forward. And then that becomes attractive and then again leads to an actual competitive part. So, so that's just kind of where my point is the world was what it was pre-chat GPT. And now in this post world, I get the sense people are thinking about architectures differently. What's the role of IP in that, in that upside for ARM is kind of where I was leading to. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. And I, th I think the main thing is like, what's the next, what, what, how does the Neoverse, how does ARM's AI solution evolve? What does the roadmap look like there? Uh, I think you're right on timing. They probably, a lot of stuff they're announcing now was probably planned out before we had GPT, chat GPT, three come out, four come out. And so that has to be reflected in the roadmap. So that's probably the next generation. Right. But right. if you think about what's going on in like just terms of edge devices here, uh, we've had a lot of ARM PC announcements in the last week. Those are, yeah. you know, Qualcomm and Apple were both using architectural licenses which makes me think that like ARM needs to up its game if it wants to convince people to switch back to standard ARM cores. And we've seen that yes. happen and it could happen, but like we, it's really, it's got, it's gotta be the next version of the product. The, and, and, and that, that was the next sort of block I want to go into because I noticed a, no, a number of sort of notes that I read um, on the, the cells from the cell side banks pushed back on this, you know, this one challenge being custom, versus off the shelf. And I think the answer, again, going back to our Neoverse point, and is there a new platform that's competitive, is those off the shelf ARM parts, whether they're in mobile, whether they're in PCs, if somebody does that, because uh, Qualcomm's not, or whether they're in data center, has to be better than the benchmarks we're seeing from the custom players. Like we have those two weights to balance against each other. We have those who make custom cores, we can benchmark all these things, including in the data center with Ampere, because you can say, is Ampere's cores better than Graviton or better than somebody else who might make these? Like you've got a benchmark. And if the off the shelf ones aren't, that just again feeds the fire for a lot of those who are analyzed that business that, well, maybe they'll then move to architecture licenses. So that to me is just super interesting because you're right. They, that IP needs to compete with off the shelf and, and we haven't seen it, I mean, with custom and we haven't seen it yet. And I totally agree. They need to address that. Yeah. I, it's, it, I think it's a, it's a good way to frame it is arm isn't necessarily competing with risk five. It's competing with its own architectural licenses. 100%. Yeah. All right. All right. Risk five point. Go ahead. I no, will go say ahead. one thing. One thing I want to point out about ARM's numbers, though, is I'm just boiling it all down to simple, the simplest metrics possible, which is they break out how many how many chips shipped on ARM this quarter. And you can 
you have your revenue. And so from that, you can calculate ASPs, the price they get per, per chip. Um, it's not a perfect metric, but it's, it's a simple one to calculate. It's one I care about a lot. And it was actually up this year, this quarter. It was up, it was up half a, half a cent quarter on quarter, I think, and a penny year on year. But that's a, that's a good trend. We want to keep seeing that. And so, as, as again, there's this temptation to get super deep and complicated here, <laughs> architectural yeah. versus customer yeah. versus catalog. But just yeah, like yeah. me, simple, simple brain stuff, like ASPs I are know. up. And that's, and that's to me, that's the core of the ARM story. If they can move that up meaningfully, that radically changes the outlook for the, for the stock. To- totally. I know, I know we've talked about this. I would love to figure out, and I know this is very, you know, in the weeds, but I would love to figure out, you know, how many cores, ARM cores are shipped every year. And does that number go up in, in the grand scheme of things, right? I think very, very hard to figure out. I, we could maybe get in the ballpark, but, but anyway, I think that's, that to me would be super, super interesting in terms of just the, you know, is core count going up per chip in the data center? You'd probably say yes. Client, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but that, that's interesting. All right. So go ahead. No, that's right. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. All right. So risk five, it was, you, you pointed out, it was not mentioned on the call, which is good, even though I've heard backroom chatter with some of the, 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 their investors just saying, well, we'll, we'll mention it, but so two things, right? Risk five didn't appear to be a threat. And then I have a follow-up point to that. You were also at the risk five summit, questionable momentum broadly in the market. So maybe just a moment on that since it was relative to, it didn't come up in the earnings call. Right. So I was at the risk five summit this year and I would say overall it's, it's, it was a very positive dynamic. Lots of people there, lots of interest, lots of different companies represented. Risk five is is healthy and moving forward. But when you start digging into some of the details of it, uh, I'm less worried about ARM than than I probably was before the summit. In particular, big area of interest now is porting Risk Five to or porting Android to Risk Five. Right, Android runs 100% today on ARM, as does iOS. And so Qualcomm has talked about moving to, to RISC-V. They launched a, a, a watch, a wearable chip that runs Android on RISC-V. Uh, Alibaba was there with their T-head unit. They were demoing Android running on their RISC-V chip. Samsung gave a talk about, about it. Sci-Fi gave a talk talking about it. All these people were talking about moving Android to RISC-V, which sounds like something that an ARM investor should be worried about. That's ARM's core revenue is mobile. I'm fairly confident that in the next year, next you know, next year, 2024, someone's going to launch a mobile applications processor running Risk Five. Mm-hmm. Probably Samsung, probably Google. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's the headline. But then I sat through a few hours of people talking about what it took for them to design these, and it was it was like almost comic. It was like mm. so much pain went into this process. It's absolutely possible. You, you, you know, companies can design RISC-V chips that run Android today, but the whole ecosystem around it, the tooling, the software has so far to go, right? I, I remember this, the, the Sci-5, uh, this, this engineer from Sci-5 gave a talk and he started the talk by saying, Android is coming to RISC-V, emphatic, right? Declarative. 
And then he spent his entire talk saying, oh, we, we, we had to build this tool and we had to build this software and then we had to build this driver. And then he said, every, you know, every single one of them, he said, oh, but Andrew, but Google's probably not going to merge this into the main Android core. Right. So all this work, which is just being done basically for demonstration purposes. And it was like, he just kept saying over and over, you know, this won't get merged. This won't get merged. And so at the end, I had to, I had to ask, like, you said at the beginning, Android's coming. Is it, is it really coming? And he said, yes, but, and, and he didn't notice, but I was sitting next to a bunch of Google engineers in the audience. I'd seen their name <laughs> tags and they were like taking notes feverishly, just like writing down everything he said, because they're like, oh, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was very funny because like the fact that they like the communication between the two was such that the, the Google guys didn't know what the big problems were. And they're sitting in the summit to figure it out makes me think there's not a lot of process in place and there's a long, long way to go. So yeah. yes, risk Android is coming to risk five this year. It's going to be, it will be a headline at some point. It's going to be a pressure on arm stock price, but I don't see right. any real threat to arms business anytime soon. Right. And we've talked about this before that, you know, where we might see some of these more specific implementations at any scale is probably in China and for China inside inside that that wall and obviously right arm is um arm china is a huge chunk of revenue uh for the company so the 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 sort of concern there being what if they roll their own but i say that to say and i and i love this to you because i've been thinking about this and talking to a lot of people about it but wouldn't you imagine and now i'm not saying that arm would all of a sudden give away ip like risk five is for free but, but wouldn't you imagine that if they felt this really was a threat in some of those capacities, they could somewhat adopt, I mean, adapt their business model to, again, not be free, but say, hey, look, it's not going to be as expensive. And I know they've lowered the cost of some of these initial limited IPs, but I feel like they, they wouldn't just sit there and say, yeah, we're going to lose to free. Like, I feel like they, they could adapt to compete if needed, is my question. Yes, I th I think I mean we we could spend an hour talking about what you know how Risk Five exists and what Arm did wrong to get here. Um, the I think the but the the super simple solution summary of all that is uh, Risk Five is free in quotation marks. It actually costs a fair amount of time and work to get it to actually get to a production chip. Uh, so there are costs associated with that. It's complex. It's not. It's not fully mature yet. Uh, it's doing well, but it's it's got a long way to go in order to be really competitive in some of these things. And so I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of big chips, like for the data center or for mobile, where you'll have ARM cores sitting next to Risk Five cores. I mean, we already see that in Google and Apple already. Um, but in terms of big markets. I think the the place where Risk Five is doing best right now is IoT embedded industrial, and I think I think that that that's Risk Five. Mark, I think they have that. Um, mobile is going to stay with ARM. Automotive is going to be very competitive. I hard to predict what's going to happen there, but I think ARM looks pretty good. Um, and data center. I mean, I there are a lot of companies trying to tackle 
risk five in the data center. And I think they're going to have to go through all the challenges that ARM went through over the last decade to get just its toehold that it has today in the data center. I, I think that's going to be incredibly challenging. I think it's hard enough for ARM. It's going to be very hard for this ecosystem. So I'm, again, there are places where risk five is looking really strong and there are places that are, I think it's going to be challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, agree. And, and I think if a market opened, you know, for risk five, you'd see those who maybe aren't upstarts, perhaps those more mature companies in Silicon design to x86 players come to mind could adapt to that too. And I think they're also wrestling like, if arms a market, maybe we should take advantage of that. If risks the market will be adaptable. I just think that, you know, arms smart about this. And if they needed to slightly adapt their business model to address that entry level point, they could do that, right? That they wouldn't just be completely oblivious if if risk five was starting to take share. They'd adapt the best they can, whether they would work or not. I'm just saying they're not going to sit still and say, nope, we're still going to charge you all this money. I think they would realize they could they could try to nip at it with some some adaptations. I, I think now that they're independent and they're they're they they care about their share price, they're they're going to have to. I think they went to sleep for five years and they they didn't do any of those things you just described. Uh, but now that everyone's mind is a little bit more focused on ARM as opposed to SoftBank's interests, uh, they're, they're going to be, they have the, the ability to be much more responsive. So I think they, they lost embedded in IoT for exactly you know, what you we were just saying. They didn't, they didn't do any of those things. And yeah. I don't think they're good. I don't think the current management team is going to let that happen again. So yeah, if they have to adapt, they will. Yeah. Agreed. All right. I think we covered a wide range today. Good topic. I'm sure sure it will facilitate uh, perhaps more questions to us from those we talk to regular in this ecosystem. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we appreciate your support and subscriptions. Uh, give us a rating. Tell your friends. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you, everybody.